tonight, if you have your Bibles, you can uh, open up to the book of Numbers. We're going to be in Numbers 13 and 14 tonight. So we're taking a break from Genesis tonight because it's communion. We're going to have a, a little bit of a shorter message than normal, uh, but don't worry, we are still going to be studying the Word of God. Uh, but we're going to take a break from Genesis and kind of fast forward a few books over to the book of Numbers. And the title of the message is To Fully Follow. And we're going to be looking at the story of a man in the Bible named Caleb. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Caleb in the Bible. Okay, raise your hand if your name is Caleb. Your name is not Caleb. Uh, is, that, is that your real name? Yeah, okay. Um, listen, this is Caleb who we find in the story following the exodus of the children of Israel to Egypt. We're first introduced to this guy named Caleb in the book of Numbers chapter 13. Uh, we're told that he is the son of a guy named Jephunneh. Everyone say Jephunneh. That's his dad's name. And we know that he's from the tribe of Judah. Those are kind of two details that we know about this guy named Caleb. Now, the book of Numbers can seem both intimidating and boring because of its English name, literally Numbers. Like there's not a book in the Bible to me that sounds more dull to read than the book of Numbers. But it's unfortunate because it's a rather exciting book uh, in, in most of the parts. And in Hebrew, it actually has a much better name. If you're taking notes, the book Numbers in the Hebrew language has a different name, which means in the wilderness, which is a way better description of what actually happens in this book uh, than the book of Numbers. For whatever reason, people down the line decided to name it the book of Numbers because in the beginning of the book, there's a census. Do you guys know what a census is? Right? Think about the story that we often know regarding Christmas, how there was a great census that was taken. And so that's why, right, uh, Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem. A census is a numbering of people. And so the reason that it's called Numbers is because in the beginning of the book, there's a census. And in the back of the book, there is also another census. But the better name to know this book by is In the Wilderness, because that is exactly what it is about. It is about the children of Israel going from being freed from Egypt, about their journey to the promised land. And so the book of Numbers picks it up from the story of the exodus of the children of Israel uh, from the land of Egypt. Remember, God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. Have you guys ever heard that phrase before? A land flowing with milk and honey? No, it wasn't like he was promising a Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory type of something. It was a phrase, it was an expression to say that it was a great place to live. Like it wasn't, act, they didn't actually have like rivers flowing with milk and honey, though that would be pretty legit. Um, it was an expression to show, hey, this was a great place to live, that its natural resources were abundant to say the least. And so we're going to begin in chapter 13, because that is when we are first introduced to this guy named Caleb. And that is our study for the day. 
And so these first 12 chapters talk about all the ups and downs after the whole fiasco at Mount Sinai. You guys remember what happened at Mount Sinai, right? So Moses takes the children of Israel, walks them through a sea on dry land. They get to the mount that they were to worship God. Moses disappears for a little while to get the 10 commandments from God. And when he gets back, what does he find? He, he finds chaos and false worship. He finds them, they made a calf out of, they made a gold calf, a baby cow, and they were like bowing down, dancing, being weird, and, and all kinds of stuff. And it was a whole thing when they just saw the hand of God. And so from that time, uh, God gives grace and they head from Mount Sinai to the promised land. And so by the time we get to chapter 13 of the book of Numbers, about two years pass from the time that they walked on that dry land through the Red Sea by the miracle of God to about now. And through that time, uh, they complained, they challenged Moses' authority, but finally, okay, we are finally to the promised land. We're going to we're gonna we are gonna walk in all that God has 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 done for us, and so we are excited. And so they end up on the border of the Promised Land in the wilderness of a place called Paran, in a city called Kadesh Barnea. Everyone say Kadesh Barnea. Now, I don't, I don't think that's probably the city name that you live in, but this was the region, this was the area that they were at, and this bordered what was then Canaan was the land that God had promised to them. Next step, go into the land and take it over. So let's pray, and we'll pick it up in Numbers 13. Father, we pray that you would go before us as we spend time in your word, that you would stir us up for, Lord, the things that you have for us in our life, Lord, that we would not be apathetic, but we would be passionate, enthusiastic about our walks with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Okay, so I didn't say amen. Amen. So Caleb would have been one of the many people who God delivered from the power of Pharaoh. And he would have personally been one of the millions of people who would have passed on that dry land through the Red Sea. In Numbers 13, we find him as a 40-year-old man, and he was a representative for the tribe of Judah, right? Does anyone remember how many tribes there were in Israel at this time? Twelve. And he was one of their main representatives from the tribe of Judah. He would have seen the people complain along the way. He would have seen Moses' his own siblings challenge his God-given authority, and now they were so close to the promised land. And so chapter 13 opens up with God giving a command. Look, look in your Bibles. We're not going to read every verse, but I want you to kind of look along as I explain what's happening. The chapter opens up, God gives a command to Moses to choose a leader from each tribe to go and spy out the land. So how many spies were to go into the promised land to check it out? How many? 12, right? Because there's 12 tribes, 12 representatives. Joshua and Caleb would have been two of the spies uh, that they would have sent. And so we see that the spies go and check out the land that, and they bring back report to Moses. If you look uh, from verses three through uh, even 
all the way to verse 16. They list the different names of the men who went. And then they go into the land. They're gone for 40 days. Okay, they're, they're just spying out the land. They're getting a lay of the land. What are we dealing with? Who lives here? God said he gave it to us, but what are we going to have to do? And so the spies go, they check out the land and notice in verses 27 through 29, they bring back a report to Moses. Look with me in your Bibles. Verse 27 says, then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, or giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And so they come back and they say, yeah, this land is legit, great stuff. We're told in this passage that they come and bring some of the fruit that they found in the land, and we're told that they get one cluster of grapes. You know what a cluster of grapes normally looks like, right? Maybe your mom packs you lunch, and she puts like one cluster in a little Ziploc bag, and that's for you. We're told that the grapes were so big, the land was so great, that one cluster of grapes they had to put on a pole and two men had to walk on either side of the pole to just carry the size of the grapes. It was a wild time and an amazing land. And so they come back and say, yeah, God was right, flowing with milk and honey. And they also say, but there are some people there. Uh, there's, there's giants, there's uh, people by the sea and the mountains. And so they, they didn't say much after that. Uh, but Caleb, notice verse 30. We're told here that Caleb quiets the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. We can do it. And so from this first reaction, uh, you can't be completely sure. These are the first words of Caleb ever recorded in the Bible. And basically he says, let's do it. We can take them. Let's send it and take possession of the land. We went, we were gone for 40 days, great land. And so let's go and let's, let's take possession of it. Now look at the other's reactions. Look in your Bibles at verses 31 through 33. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. So when it says the men, this is including 10 other spies. Joshua wouldn't have been included in this. Caleb says, let's go. The other spies say, we're not gonna be able to do this. Notice what they say. And they gave the children of Israel Verse 32, a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Do you guys see what's happening here? Right? So they come back and they say, okay, this is, this is what's happening. Caleb says, it doesn't matter who's in the land. Let's go. God told us to go. 
And so let's take it. Let's send it. But for these 10 spies, they say, they look at almost, they look at Caleb and they say, are you crazy? Did you see the same giants that we saw? Did you see how the Canaanites are, Canaanites are by the sea, the Jubasites, the Amorites, the Amalekites? It's filled with people who know how to war. We're never going to be able to do it. And so you have 10 out of the 12 giving a very discouraging report and actually saying, we can't do it. All right? So that's where we're at in the story. You guys got it? So now look at chapter 14. At chapter 14, we find... A bulk of the people are now upset. Okay, so this is a public thing happening. They bring back the report, and now hundreds of thousands of people are freaking out because 10 out of 12 spies say, we can't do it. And they say, oh my gosh. And they just start to cry out and they complain. It gets so far here in these early verses in, in chapter 14 that they say, we got to pick a new leader. Let's just go back to Egypt because at least in Egypt, we had food. We weren't going to die. What did God just bring us out here just to kill us? They are at the border of the promised land and they start to rally against Moses, against Caleb, and they start saying, we got to pick someone new. The scene is a disaster, but now notice Notice verses six through nine. At this point, Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12 spies, they begin to tear their clothes and speak to the people. I want you guys in your Bibles to read this with me. It says, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, right, that's our, that's our guy of the day, who were among those who had spied out of the land, tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel. So they see what's happening. You see, discouragement spread so quickly. Disbelief spread so quickly. And so Joshua and Caleb see this. We're told that they tear their clothes. Now, it wasn't just like a hot day and they were like, oh, I'm so hot. No, no. What was happening, it was a sign of distress. It was a sign of, of we, we got to stop what is happening and notice what they say. It says, And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel. Verse 7, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Basically, they say, It's good. Let's go. Verse 9 says, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Basically, they say, don't freak out. Don't rebel. Look, the land is good. God is good. So what's stopping us? Let us go forward. Don't miss the simplicity in this. He says, God will be with us. Don't don't, don't turn back. I love, notice in verse eight, this is, or in verse nine, this is my favorite line. He says, for they are our bread. Translation, we eat giants for breakfast. No worries. Let's go in. They, they are our bread. They, they are, this is easy, not because Caleb was some massive dude who was just like ready to go. He might've been, but that's not the reasoning. The reasoning is that God 
was with them. And then last verse in this section that I want to point out to you. Look at verse 10. Look how the people respond. Verse 10 tells us this. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So they got from the point of about to enter the promised land to the point, let stone Caleb and Joshua. In a very quick amount of time, from this point, things really go south. The story goes on that the people rebel against the Lord in this way. They acted in their unbelief rather than in faith, and they incur the judgment of God upon them. Does anyone know what the judgment of God was for this action? The fact that they refused to go into the land, Lincoln? 40 year delay. God's judgment was you weren't willing to go in, then you're going to have to wait 40 years to go in. Why 40 years? Well, God's reasoning, we're told that all the people other than Joshua and Caleb would die out. The reason that God chose 40 years is that was how long it would be for that generation not just the 10 spies. We're told that the 10 spies, God actually sent them a plague. They died that same day because they were responsible for now infusing everyone with discouragement and unbelief. But think about this. This moment, what we just read, cost them 40 years. The only two people above 20 years old to enter the promised land 40 years later would be Joshua and Caleb. And I want, I want you to look at what God says about Caleb. So God gives this judgment to Moses, but this is where we find out what was so special about this guy named Caleb. These are God's words directly. So after this whole thing, God speaks with Moses and basically says, Moses, uh, we're delaying this thing 40 years. I know you guys are on the border, but they're gonna wander I have to teach them to rely on me, lean upon me. And all those people who weren't willing to trust me, when they just saw two years earlier, I saved them from the most powerful army on the planet, Egypt and Pharaoh. But now they can't trust me to go into some land. And so this is what God says about Caleb. I love this. He says, but my servant, Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has fully, has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now, unfortunately for Caleb, he would have to wait another 40 years uh, until he was able to go into the land. But we find something very significant and I think noteworthy for you and I. How was Caleb so brave and bold? Right, you got 10 spies, you got now hundreds of thousands of people unwilling. What was significant about Caleb? Was he just this beast of a guy who didn't fear anything? I don't think so. I think God points it to the fact of what kind of difference was about him. It's the fact that he fully followed the Lord. I don't think those other spies were unbelievers. Those other people that rebelled against God were unbelievers, they were believers, but they didn't follow the Lord 
fully. God told them to go into the land, and so Caleb said, let's go. Who was in the land didn't matter. It was absolutely irrelevant in light of God's clear command to go. There is this dedication, I am all in. Now, in chapters 13 and 14, it's the first time we're introduced to Caleb, but it's not the last time. Uh, Throughout scripture, there's a few other shout outs, and I want you to just note them down because they're important for you and I. Numbers 32 verses 11 through 12. This is kind of now the end of the book of Numbers. 40 years have passed and God through Moses is reminding the people, hey, all those 20 and older, they have to die before we're going back in because God said, I'm not going in with them. And so this is what is said about Caleb. Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. That, that's, that's synonymous with what we just read about to fully follow. The idea is to wholly follow, not holy, like H-O-L-Y, but notice what it says, holy, like a whole pizza, okay? Not like part of a pizza, whole, to wholly follow the Lord. And so this is the legacy that he left, that Caleb was someone who wholly followed the Lord. And not, this was not just the legacy that he left, but this was a legacy that God said about him. God said, there's something different about Caleb. He has a different spirit in him. He has fully followed me. Now for reading later, I'm gonna encourage you guys to go check out Caleb as an 85-year-old man. This is probably one of the coolest stories in the Bible. We don't have time to get into it today. But in Joshua chapter 14 and 15, Caleb comes back on the scene. If you don't know about the book of Joshua, Moses is now dead. Joshua's responsibility as one of those two spies that fully follow the Lord, he is their leader. He is their army general and he takes them into the land. And so finally, when they start to gain the land, Caleb is now an 85-year-old man in Joshua chapter 14 and 15. And we're told that Caleb comes to Joshua And he says, hey, that mountain there, you know where all the giants dwell? Where 45 years earlier, you and I saw the giants in person and everyone wasn't willing to go in. He said, I know I'm 85. I'm going to go take that mountain. And we're told that Caleb goes and slays all the giants in that land and on that mountain because he says, that's mine. You see, whether he was 40 or 85 He was going to fully follow the Lord. And so the question today is, are you fully following God? Are you wholly following the Lord? You need to hear something today. Everyone look at me. To halfway follow the Lord is to not follow him at all. To halfway follow is to not follow at all because these people, they followed God right up to the promised land. 
But then when the rubber met the road, they acted in unbelief. And it cost them not only 40 years, but it cost them all the enjoyment of the promised land. They had to walk around a desert for 40 years. You see, with Jesus, it's all or nothing. Jesus said, he who is not with me is what? Is against me. He who is not with me is against me. Maybe tonight you have been straddling the fence. You have one foot with Jesus and you have one foot doing whatever else. It's time to fully follow the Lord. To be 99% in with the Lord, you guys listening? To be 99% in with the Lord is to be 100% out. It is an all or nothing thing. You can't just give part of your life to God. It means you haven't given him anything yet. God is described in, in the Bible as a jealous God. He is jealous for us, and it's a good thing. That's why he always says to us, he says, search for me with your whole heart. He says to love me with all of your heart. He says to serve me wholeheartedly. Again and again in scripture, God says it's all or nothing. Luke chapter nine, verse 62 says, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the idea that Jesus is talking to people and, and they want to follow him. And he comes to this point where he says, you can't be going in two directions. If you're following me, then everything else is done. I have to be your one and only. And I think it's really important for you guys to, to recognize and real this, realize this tonight. Because listen, if you, if you have a plan B with following Jesus, Satan's going to make sure you take it. The enemy, we're told, comes into our life at an opportune time. He's looking for a moment where that little percentage of you that, that is open to not following God, he's going to exploit it. And God knows this. That's why he wants it all because all is best for you. And so it's time to stop looking back and time to be like Caleb, who fully followed the Lord, who chose that day whom he would serve. So maybe for some of you guys, for your very first time today, you need to give your whole life to Jesus. You need to confess your sin, believe in the finished work of, of Jesus on the cross, the fact that he came here and he lived a perfect sinless life. He was that then that sacrificial lamb upon the cross representing our sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might then live in the righteousness of Christ. And, and today might be the first time that you, you just, you recognize Man, I, I need to fully follow Jesus. Maybe for others, though, you need to do what Peter, James, and John figured out in Luke chapter 5. It's the last verse I want to share with you guys tonight, but Luke chapter 5, verse 11, 
Notice what it says. So, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This is a story we, we can't get into the detail, but this is the story that Luke records where they already knew Jesus at this time. Jesus had already said, follow me. And they'd kind of been around, even in this circumstance, if you go to the story, they were kind of around, but didn't seem like they were all in. They were half in. And then there comes this point when Jesus does this amazing miracle, and we're told that there came a further point where they forsook all and followed him. And you see, in your life tonight, if you want to truly follow Jesus and everything else can't just be second, it's got to be non-existent. It's all about him. That he is the goal. That he is who you live for. That he's the one that calls the shots. And so regardless of circumstance and situation, if he calls you to go, you go. If he says jump, you say how high. He is the Lord of your life. And until he is the Lord of your entire life, of all, then he is not Lord at all. And so I want to encourage you guys to think about Caleb today and think about how he fully followed the Lord and he, and he was all in. And let's use him as an example. Let's use him as a model for how you and I are to be an And regardless of the things that we go through, regardless of who's on the other side, when God says go, we go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this example. Lord, you tell us in your word that you have written these things in the Old Testament um, that it might give encouragement and comfort and perseverance to us. And so, Lord, Caleb was a man who never looked back. It wasn't just that he had, Lord, big muscles and ability. It was none of that. It was the fact that he just trusted what you said. You said you'd be with him, and so there was no one that was going to stop him. If you were for him, then who could be against him? God, we pray that you would ingrain that same spirit in us today. You you said about Caleb that there is a different spirit in him. God, whatever that spirit was, Lord, we want it tonight. We want it tonight. Lord, we repent of our apathetic hearts. God, we repent of our idolatry, putting something above you or even in the same realm as you. Lord, we repent tonight of our self-love and our self-care. Though we so often don't obey you out of our own self-will and desire. And we just pray tonight that all of that would get put to the side. That as John the Baptist would say, I, that I might decrease so that you might increase. God, we want that tonight. Would it not be about us? As we take communion tonight and think about what you did, would it, would it not be about us? As we worship you tonight, would it not be about us? Would it not be about 
whether we like the song or not? Would it be a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise? God, our eyes are so often on ourselves and on our own abilities, our own shortcomings, our own failures. God, would you help us to be like Mary tonight, sitting at your feet, receiving, learning, worshiping. And so, Lord, I pray for for anyone here who you've been speaking to tonight. You've been telling them, Lord, through this example that, that, that they need to surrender it all. They've known you. They've followed you. They could tell others about you. But there's a piece of their own heart that has a plan B. And Lord, you are jealous for them. You want it all. And so God, through this time of worship, through this time of communion, would you take it all? God, we offer our hearts before you as that living sacrifice. Everyone put out your your arms just like this. God, we commit to fully following you. God, we don't know. Well, we know we can't do it on our own, but we just offer ourselves asking that you would do the work in us, that you'd help us to wholly follow the Lord. We love you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 